I wanted to bring up a topic of was Jesus ripped? That's really. Oh, hell yeah, he was. Whose episode is it, it's, Steven? It's mine. Steven? I'm okay. consulting my notes. Uh, I've heard the theory. I actually don't know how historically grounded this is, but I've heard a theory um, about um, the word for carpenter is also used other places for like stone mason. Yes, that's and true. Given like geology of the area of the time, mm-hmm. it yes. could have been likely that Jesus was like working with heavy limestone. Yes, that's very accurate. Okay. Because okay. I've cool. been over there and the type of wood that's there is not really conducive to like the carpentry that we Lumber. would think of. Right. So. And yes. thereby Jesus was ripped. Very Jesus much so. Jesus was a stoner. <laughs> that's not what that means. All right. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey there, you two. I didn't see you come in. Buongiorno. Hi, welcome. I didn't see you come in either. Come in. Take your shoes off, please. We like to keep our shoes off in this oh, house. Thank you. Keeps the I carpet clean. You, you get it. Absolutely. You understand. Can I get you anything to drink? I would love Actually, that. Well, see, I brought my own beverage, um, if oh, that's okay. Thinking ahead. I Yes, I do. I'm a planner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beverage that I brought was a really nice can of Pepsi. Found it in the fridge, and oh. I said, why not? There you go. Chris, did you do the traditional Pepsi milk for Santa this year? Excuse me, what? Please tell me you've seen that Lindsay Lohan commercial. Look it up after this episode. It will be in the show notes now. Pepsi milk? It is a real commercial. I don't think anyone's actually doing it. Nope. This sounds sounds to me like the new Tide Pod challenge. Except this one's drinkable. That's fair. It's technically potable and edible. Um, Theoretically drinkable. The ingredients separately are FDA approved. <laughs> I don't know if it's like, a, you know how like Utah culture has like soda shops and like, yeah, because right. they can't drink tea and coffee. I don't know if it like was born out of that. Sure. Because they know. do some weird pop drinks. But I don't, I don't know. know. Um, I don't know why I said yes to a drink because I also brought my own because we're not in the same <laughs> room together. Um, I well, brought yeah. just a play with the fiction though. Come on, I know. I was just continuing with the role play. Okay, I was just I was into the game because you're good dungeon master. Oh wait, no, you call yourself a GM. What is that supposed to be? It's game master. It's just more oh. generic. Dungeon master implies heavily that you're only pretty much playing D and D. Got it. Like Dungeons and that Dragons. But I like Game Master, even though I've only ever played with the five E system for now. I just like Game Master because. I don't know. Mm. It, it just feels more better. inclusive, honestly. GM, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it sounds better. That's right. I broke open a can uh, from Meadowlark Brewing Company. I got this in Billings on my trip. I'm drinking another can Shout of out. the Black Steers Tukas Oat Malt Stout. 
very delicious, great wintry beer. And then I also picked up this herbal liqueur from Gulch Distillers in Montana. I, fi- I mean, I picked it up at a liquor store, but it's from Montana. And it's like this herbal liqueur that has a bunch of herbs and like some Szechuan peppercorn and it's really smooth. Huh. It's yeah. very it's very nice. It's it's pairing very well with this Washington made gin that I have. So I did an ounce of the liqueur and only half an ounce of gin and then we have some leftover handmade uh homemade hand, I guess it is both handmade and homemade cranberry sauce and it mm. pairs very well with that. I did like a little little half cup in there over a big ice cube and it's very nice. Like it feels summery because it's like sweeter, but it's good. Your impromptu cocktail game is very good to me. I like hearing about it. Mm, thank you. All the time. You would be a wonderful bartender. Yeah, I, I like bet. to think that I would. I really do. Thank you. I uh, yeah, that would be amazing. Um I hey. found in my excuse hey, you're me. Cut off. Oh, you're yeah. Okay. Hey, yes, you at the bar. I think that I would be. Thank you. You're cut you're off. Welcome. Give me your keys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. Now, I'd be much more calm than that. I'm much more subtle behind a bar. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know. Probably give me your keys because you're cut off because you've drank too much. <laughs> hey, I know how to do a magic trick with those. The, uh, see those? <laughs> We're gonna make them disappear. Just Steven, a classic. What are you drinking? Just Enneagram Nine energy behind a bar is very fun to me. Um, I really think ooh, a lot of people. Oh, fun fact! Yes. I think that a lot of people in the service industry are nines, nines or nine wings. No, I, get I it. believe it. I get or seven. I believe it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I found in my fridge a can of Montucky cold snack. Uh, great light lager beer made here in Montana. I love it. And it's in my uh, Billings Mustangs koozie while we're <gasps> oh. like very much off of the baseball season right now. Very much. Yeah. Uh, being in the middle of winter and stuff. But okay. I, it is my turn to bring a topic. My first topic of 2023. <laughs> I want to give you guys a heads up that it's going to feel like I have a few misdirections going on here in much in the way like an illusionist or a magician will like distract you with something over here to really do what he's trying to do you know what i mean wow i was really on the nose with the key stealing bit yeah Yeah. it really was a little bit um nice so but i just wanted to give you the heads up because it's gonna feel like we're headed down toward a topic and then i'm gonna pivot real hard to be like and now this is my real topic um okay. is that why you did kind of like a game mastery intro kind of thing maybe you oh, don't know i'm so excited for this <laughs> guide us yeah I'm master nervous. um so with the new year coming upon us this is classically the season that people are now probably dropping off their new year's resolutions <laughs> second week of january yeah <laughs> That seems realistic, yeah. That's valid. We have Christmas, we have New Year's, which is everyone hyped up on the resolutions, and then a week after, (laughs) everybody falls off of them. But I particularly enjoy the experience of thinking through those resolutions and like thinking how you want to like improve yourself in, in ways that could be physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, even all these facets of our lives. I just think the the process of self-reflection is very interesting. So my the misdirection topic here is the experience of thinking about yourself in the third person, which is called metacognition. Um, and uh, this isn't much, much of a misdirection because I'm just going to go, I'm going to head straight to it. 
Are you ready? Are you ready for <laughs> I'm this? I'm so ready. I'm sorry. I changed. I, I can't tell if this is real or not. I have I, no idea what's going no, on. I'm so I decided. I decided that there's not going to be much of a discussion here unless I just go straight for it. So, is this the misdirection? I love. This feels so meta. I don't know. I love the experience of metacognition, thinking about myself as like an observer of myself, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. And what I want to do today is talk about the incarnation of Jesus and ponder the question whether Jesus metacognated himself as divine from the beginning or if that came later as a realization about himself oh my god (laughs) okay but there's names for these things because theology is you know rampant and it's been around for so long sure 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 like there's names for those things but i don't remember what they are emily do you know what they are i'm trying to think off the top of my head like Um, isn't there a name for when like for the idea that Jesus became divine or aware of his divinity at his baptism. But then there's also a name for like, it's not just like the hypostatic union I'm thinking of. Right? No, I think you're um, thinking annunciation, aren't you? No, but then most, most theologians reject that idea. Correct. That like Jesus must've known previous to that hmm. cognitively that he was divine. <laughs> I'm not sure what to think. To answer your question, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. It, to be honest, I don't know. Like, I think, like that thing that I just described, I think, if I remember right, is usually argued against by most mainstream theologians. But to be honest, I don't really quite understand what the complications would be either way. Like, either if we were going to talk about Jesus being divine the whole time, but only being aware of it some of the time... Or if, like, at one point, Jesus both became and was aware of his divinity. Mm-hmm. But then that also, like, begs the question of, like, can you be something without being aware of it? Mm-hmm. Like, I am human, even if I do not metacognitively, like, think about being human in a third-person sense. Like, I still am. But I'm not aware. But I'm. But some people, like, might not be aware of that. Like, if, I don't know. So, does it feel just like a Actually, that's not of, a great example. A diagnosis of, would be a good example. Oh, there you go. Like, mm, there like you, you go. Could, you could be depressed and not know that you're depressed. And, like, mm-hmm. you, you have a different experience of depression when you have been, like, formally diagnosed of depression. Hmm. Yeah, right. Even if, like, you know that something's off. Like, just putting a label on something, like, gives a little bit more, like, grounding. Interesting. Are you trying to make an equivalence, then, of, like... Jesus of Nazareth was diagnosed with divinity at some point and just didn't know it. No, because I think what that implies, I'm not trying to like make a belief statement about this, but I think what that implies is the hypothesis that Jesus was like mentally ill or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, okay. (sighs) And that like the, the concept of divinity was like a misguided notion in himself. So there is the, heretical view that states that basically there's the divine person that dwells within the human person of jesus and this is the nestorian heresy this came about in um i believe the early fifth century and it was this idea that mary was the mother of the human person but not the divine person of jesus because the divine dwells within the human, she gave birth to the human person of Jesus. And we see this, um, I guess, the scripture that people would use to 
demonstrate this idea would be John 1 14, the word made flesh, mm-hmm. where the word, the second person of the Godhead became man. Jesus was a divine person possessing the nature of God and the nature of man. And then as we know, in the year 451, the Council of Chalcedon declared that Christ was divine and human, united as a single person, no confusion, no separation whatsoever. So it... (laughs) Oh, and yes, Josh, the term that you were thinking of was what you had said before. Oh, just hypostatic union? Yeah, exactly. Big words. Big words. But that's not, that would not refer to Jesus becoming divine at his baptism, correct? Or is that, is that what you're saying with the Noraster heresy? Yes, that is what I'm saying with the... Copy that. Okay, but like, what would the... Uh, I understand people like rejecting heresy just to like be specific about like what you believe, which I think that there's a certain like pro and con to, but like, what would the implications be? Of Jesus becoming divine. Great question. Or like at some point becoming fully God. Because one thing that I do think is interesting about the Christian narrative is even if someone does believe that that is potentially possible, the Jesus story is not usually depicted like that as opposed to like the Buddha story. Like Buddha Mm. as is like the main crux of the story is Buddha becomes enlightened versus Mm -hmm. like the crux of the Jesus story is Jesus becomes crucified. You know, but it starts with a pretty big deal in Bethlehem, right? And like the stars and the magi are all given visions and signs, and they they have a, a Messiah to go meet, right? Shepherds being talked to by angels. So like even crucifixion being the crux, which is ironically where we get the word crux, um, right? Fun, fun little trivia fact for all of us today, but. It all starts pretty early. It starts with an infant being born, not necessarily, say, like an eight-year-old in the temple that we see in Luke, like having conversations with the rabbis and his parents come find him. And I think most people don't say that that it happens at his baptism either. But correct me if I'm wrong, Emily, but I believe that the the conceptions of the Messiah that were running around at the time, like the different, like the four main interpretations of Messiah prophecy were not hypothesizing that the Messiah would be God incarnate. Correct. Correct. They were foreseeing like a, like a human figure. Correct. Yes. Like in the tradition of human figure in the tradition of King David. Yes. Nice. So it, where, at what point did, Christian tradition start identifying Jesus as fully God. Is it in the writings of Paul? Is it in the early church? Because like I I know I know the verses, right? Like I know well, where people point to and they're like where mm-hmm. Jesus is saying like the Father and I are one, but like at what point did that interpretation become Jesus is fully God, fully man? Oh, like in the in the theology angle. Yeah. Of like trying to do the math of 100% plus 100% equals 100%. 100%. Which is how I was taught it, by the way, when I was young. Makes about as much sense as the Trinity, if I'm honest. But uh, here we are. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I I think, I mean, you could probably refer to Mark being like the earliest gospel. 
putting words in Peter's mouth, right? Like the, the scene where Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Like, but they, but even that phrase, I don't think at the time they would have understood that as you are God, right? Well, I'm not sure. I don't, I I don't know how to answer that. Did he mean that in like a messianic way? Like you are the son of God. Uh, being that the source is Mark, it was probably, at least from what I know of Mark, it was probably more of a political statement of saying like, you are the son of God, oh, yeah. not Caesar, right? Like that was more right. of his message than anything. But, you know, I think Matthew riffing on Mark, I feel like, especially like a, uh, like a Mount of Transfiguration is kind of a moment of like, oh, there's something extra going on here. Potentially. You know what I mean? So maybe the disciples and the apostles, even before Paul had an idea of like the divinity of Jesus, even before the resurrection, because that feels kind of like the ironic, like final nail in the coffin of like, oh, this, this figure is divine. (laughs) He can come back from the dead, you know, Mm. I've been thinking about the incarnation quite a bit lately. I think the the Christmas season certainly did that to me, but really pairing it with this New Year's vibe of like thinking about yourself in a metacognitive way. I'm just, I, I'm fascinated with the idea of like, what kind of things do we imagine that Jesus of Nazareth as a young person was thinking or realizing about himself? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. My first thought is, I imagine that he learned how to jerk off at some point. Dang it, Josh, I was going to say something about that. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> you beat me to it! I think that that is what, it, like, in, in a more serious note, I think that that is what seems so paradoxical about Jesus being fully divine, fully man, even though that that is, like, such a Christian tradition at this point, where it's just kind of, like, accepted, even though, like, at face value, it's highly mysterious and paradoxical is like the early childhood thing. Like Jesus as an adult makes sense. Yeah. I think (laughs) like it makes more sense than like Jesus as a kid. Like is Jesus like having the normal human kid experience where you like make bodily discoveries and you make discoveries about the world, but also you have on omnipotent knowledge, but that's only if you believe in omnipotence, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it, like what would a process theology view of Jesus as a kid be? I've never thought about that. I would imagine it looks like the development of a child into a teenager into an adult. But then is that the Norasterian heresy or whatever? You know what I mean? Oh. Ooh. That's a fun corner I've walked into here. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) But again, like, I I don't know if at face value the implications of that rabbit trail seem negative to me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see like uh, mm. an inherent, uh, like devaluing of the character and personhood of Jesus in the story. Yeah. No, if anything, it makes it better. It feels very embracing of the human side too. Yeah. Like, like it is human. Can you say more to that, Emily? It makes it better because for so long, uh, people were worshiping little G gods that were not present that couldn't be seen smelt touched and was very distant and very mysterious and very unreliable (laughs) and so to have in flesh capital g god to take on skin and muscle and blood and bone and tissue and organs and 
all those things. And then not just that, but then to have human experiences like an orgasm, love, scraping your knee on the on the floor, burning yourself on a candle, tasting the wonderful food that is figs and avocados and salmon and you know whatever the case may be, like partaking in the humanness I think is what makes Christianity so dynamic because it's not just worshiping a god. It's seeing god take on flesh, walk among us, and experience life as we experience life, not just looking above and being distant from, but being hands-on. And you don't see that typically in other religions as far as a god wanting to participate in something that is, quote-unquote, lesser than god. Hmm. So I think in a way I've heard Christians talk about Jesus in kind of that Buddha way that Josh was alluding to earlier of like Jesus at some point realized his divinity. And that's really when his ministry began. I guess when, when people talk about Jesus in that way of like Jesus came to a realization of his divinity and began preaching about it and began preaching about how, that was available to all of us. And that's where we get langu- early language from the red letters, ostensibly saying like later there will come like the Holy spirit then that we all can like partake in. Right. Almost in a way of him saying like, I have the Holy spirit in me. And then someday soon you will also have it in you. And then I think that's where Paul gets informed toward language of like we are co-heirs with Christ and all that kind of stuff is because we are all kind of like identified by that seal of the Holy Spirit in some way. But when people talk about like Jesus having a realization of that, it does feel very Buddha-esque, which which to kind of this this heretical point we've already brought up, that kind of feels like it. what it raises in my mind is the question, then what was so special about Jesus that no one else had figured out yet? Mm. You know what I mean? Well, we can't say that no one figured out because Mary knew and Joseph knew. Yeah. And yet they weren't equated with God or given membership in the Trinity or something like that, right? Hmm. Josh, the meme you just sent to the group chat. (laughs) (laughs) Would you care to share with the class, Stephen? I can't can't with you right now. This will obviously be on the socials when this episode comes out, but we have the classic... (laughs) The uh, the astronaut in space meme. So first astronaut is looking at the Earth. The Earth captioned, wait, I'm fully God. And that first astronaut being teenage Jesus. And then the astronaut with the gun behind him saying, the, is the Holy Spirit just always have been. <laughs> you made that so fast. <laughs> but can I say, I'm a meme lord over here. You, mm, yes. I, I had it in my back pocket because I recently used the astronaut meme to make a meme about panentheism. Oh. Where the astronaut's looking at the earth and saying, wait, it's all God? And the other <laughs> astronaut being, it always has been. Yeah. Emily, correct me if I'm wrong again, please. You're just going to be my eternal fact checker. The sounding on board. The yeah. church history thing. Right. Sure. But wasn't it a later development in Trinitarian theology um, that the Holy Spirit was also God? 
in that like it was first concluded that Jesus was fully divine. I have to like based off of like the whole father son theology kind of situation and then like some of Paul's writings. But then Paul talks a lot about the spirit, but I just don't remember if it was like at a council or something that it was like formally decided. So but I feel like I feel like the father son theology situation came first. Right. So the idea, like the Christian doctrine of the Trinity was kind of like ever evolving, but it was at the fourth Lateran Council that declared it is the Father who begets, the Son who is begotten, and the Holy Spirit who brings about. And it Mm. was really shaping and defining each role of the three parts of the Trinity. Wild. Mm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. I don't think I care if Jesus <laughs> knew... <laughs> like, the more I think about it, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that I care if I'm going to believe in Jesus at all. I don't see the importance in distinguishing whether Jesus became aware of his divinity Mm. or whether he was always aware of his divinity from day one. Like I I don't see the functional difference. And in fact, I think that it takes away from the humanity of Jesus to suggest that Jesus somehow had like this all encompassing omnipotent knowledge from day zero as a baby, but like didn't have like the human like limitations. Hmm. It feels unfaithful to the whole hypostatic union idea. I can see where you're coming from. Like, was Jesus not aware of his divinity until he was 25 when his hippocampus was fully developed? I don't know. But I don't think I have a problem with that if I'm going to believe in Jesus at all. Huh. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, theologically, I, I feel like that's fine. But is there room for disagreement on that in the Christian church? Survey would probably say no. What would you say, Emily? I think I'm... I think I'm agreeing with you, Josh, in a really weird way. I think I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> Only because I just, I remember distinctly, vividly, the conversation that I had with my professor when we were in the Holy Land. And we were, mm. we were, I remember we were walking through Old City, Jerusalem, and we were cracking jokes about like Jesus masturbating and like, <laughs> you know, did he have lucid dreams and like all these other things and i remember dr yo was very clear in the idea of divinity and humanism 
may be hard to separate or combine. But the truth of the matter is, is we can't deny the fact that Jesus was divine and human. And I think Hmm. that in itself was just like, yeah. So what if Jesus masturbated when he was 15? Like that doesn't change the fact that I still follow Jesus's teachings and want to live in a way that calls me to be radical in hospitality and love and compassion and justice oriented like mm. if anything it it pushes me even more to follow in the ways of jesus to be like you know what the fact that jesus masturbated that brings me some comfort <laughs> like <laughs> we have something in common <laughs> to i too prefer to do that <laughs> to know that like to know that jesus could have human experiences and Mm. could walk in the ways of humanity and be a shithead as a teenager and you know be put in time out as a kid and probably chewed on sticks as a baby and then grew up and became a fully developed man and was able to learn and educate himself and do all these things like that brings me comfort because I don't want to worship a God that's so distant and puppet master like that doesn't care about any experiences that I may have and only brings about the things that they want. That to me is sad. And so the whole narrative of Jesus is perfect because he was born of a young woman who, you know, probably was crying her eyes out because of the intense pain of labor and joseph standing off to the side being like what the hell did i get myself into like now you have this crying baby in the world and you know did did he breastfeed did he have diaper rash i want to know because that is what matters to me to have a god who would experience life with me is crucial steven i'm curious what's got you thinking about this me too what, what ponderings led you here to like question that's on an episode what oh. are you raveling out well i so in the christmas season kind of just thinking you know it's the time to think about i guess for me it is the incarnation and like what the birth of jesus meant still means and will continue to mean and i did have kind of a uh, a funny realization of like yeah that would be weird to have the knowledge of God downloaded into a one year, one day old baby, you know, like, I don't know, just thinking through like how funny some of those weird pairings would get, especially when you consider theologies of like, um, omniscience, omnipotence and all those kind of things. But also, uh, just like experiencing some of the narratives of Jesus again, I feel like I'm kind of doing it in a fresh way. I've been, uh, slowly going through a book called 50 ways to pray. And I've been kind of in a, uh, a section of the book that does a lot of like different takes on the practice of Lectio Divina, like reading the, the Bible in kind of like a prayerful stance and in kind of the jokey way I opened the episode of like as a GM or whatever, or like setting the stage as if we were like walking into the same living room together is that that is kind of how I've been trying to read the Bible lately, like trying to really get into the, the physical senses of what could be experienced in the scenes of the stories that we get to read in the gospels. And one of them being the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus has just an agonizing 
hours of prayer begging with God that he doesn't have to go through what he's about to go through, you know, and just reflecting on that story and seeing that he seemingly understood what was happening and what was going to be happening and whether that just be in a very human, like I I see what's going on. I see what I've done and I see the consequences that are coming. Like I will be put to death and executed by the state for what I've said, especially because they're tied up with the, uh, the dominating religious group in this city who now wield power because of it. So like, even if it was that, but looking at kind of the divine dimension of Jesus kind of understanding his task and understanding what's before him. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's just really piqued my curiosity in a new way around the person of Jesus, thinking about Jesus, thinking about himself. And I also recently just heard a sermon where someone was talking about the, uh, the statements of Jesus on the cross. And the one that got me really thinking along these angles as well was the statement, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this pastor um, like kind of played with that scene a little bit and asked the listeners to imagine like, okay, so Jesus says that. And here's a moment where the father gets to in Jesus's dying breath, essentially say like, yes, my son, that is who we are. We are forgiving. Like almost it, like the way it clicked in me was like, that was a moment of Jesus truly realizing what was happening was this is all about forgiveness, but it only came like in the final moments of like the climax of the story. Right. And that was, it it was a moment of like, I've heard a lot of theology talking about how Jesus on the cross for the first time in eternity, past, present and future that like Jesus was separated from the father. And at this point, I think that theology is bullshit. I think the experience of being separated by the father was real for Jesus, the human, because you would feel abandoned hanging on a cross or in front of a firing squad or about to fall on the gallows, right? Like you would feel abandoned by God, but I don't think that was ever true of Jesus. And then having a moment of saying like, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And almost just like a, a conclusion of like Jesus fully realizing what he was doing by verbalizing that out loud. I don't know. There's I, I'm on a real Jesus kick right now, you guys, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> Steven is a Jesus freak. <laughs> Don't do this to me. That's that's a loaded term. Mm. I think the study of Jesus as a person is just very interesting to me. Like, I don't know why it was why I found it so cool to think that Jesus was likely familiar with dudes like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. Like he had heard their names. <laughs> And knew what they taught. And even though they lived like four centuries beforehand, like I think the contextual, like putting Jesus in history has also been an interesting way for me to kind of approach that from a new angle as well. I feel like this is another one of those interesting places of theology where it's like, if you look too hard at it, you start going dizzy. I think Trinity, the incarnation are two prime examples of that. Like there's a lot of like oddly like wooden and rigid opinions about Trinity. When every time I talk about it, I'm like, 
how can anyone be sure of what they're talking about at all? I ask myself that every day. Yeah, and you probably had class like a whole semester's worth of a class called Trinity. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And at the end of the day, I would still like scratch my head and be like, wait, what? I still y'all I may have an MDiv, but I'm still trying to figure this shit out. (laughs) I may be ordained. I may have the title reverend, but I am still trying to figure this out. (laughs) Hmm. I think. But that okay, that right there is the important thing. We should constantly be striving to want to know more, to figure things out. And that's what like that's what this is all about is like the fact that for centuries they would have multiple councils who would meet throughout history trying to figure this out. And we are still trying to grapple and make sense of it. That that's what it's all about. Yeah, 100 percent. Do you think we should do councils again? Or is that what oh, podcasts yeah, absolutely. are now? Our podcast is just the modern day councils. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> the Ravel Council has decided. I think especially with how much Christian disagreement there is in the world, there should absolutely be a new ecumenical council to like realign on like what Christians are gonna agree about and like pursue in the world. Because yeah. like regardless of your opinions about evangelism. Because I think a lot of Christians are like more heavy-handed with that than others on like the importance of that. Mm-hmm. I think that like I think Christians would be more effective in producing good in the world and in people's daily lives if there was more unification on what to prioritize. Like, should we be more concerned about feeding the poor of the world than spending that? money on that drumming church production that was going viral in December. <laughs> like, well, we don't spend any money. We don't spend any of the church's budget on it. We just charge for um, what it costs to put it on. So, you know, it's like zero cost to the church. But like, it's a lot of money. $42 million could have paid for a lot, you know? Yeah. But like, I think it's just like, it's such a great example of like, the social function of churches being likely to like be insular, whether it's in their denomination or just their church. And I think, I think a modern day council would actually do so much good across the globe because I I think it would have the potential to not just realign in terms of belief, but in terms of practice. And as many hot takes as I have about the church, the church is a force for social good. If it chooses to be that. Amen. Josh. Amen. Thank you. I'll drink to that. Hallelujah. Yes. Clink our glasses. Clink, clink. And I think that conversations like this highlight well that we often miss the point. Like, <laughs> in my opinion, like I, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but like, I feel like I've been seeing an uptick in the last couple of years of people being like, like trying to deny theological conversation. I think sometimes theological conversation misses the point, but I also think people miss the point by like avoiding theological conversation. Like I think I've seen an uptick in the last couple of years of people being like, well, I just want to be like Jesus and act like that's like a catch all of like behavior change that it's like self-explanatory, but like Jesus didn't call us to be fully divine. So like you really need to like explain yourself more. Like if you're going to say that you believe in Jesus as fully God and fully man, and then be like, well, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Well, like, what do you mean? That's like really confusing now. Like, yeah. (laughs) So I feel like sometimes people like miss the point by either being like too complicated or too simplified Hmm. when like 
if we just like saw the forest through the trees and like listened to what Jesus said and we just loved our neighbor, like that is really simple and really profound. And it's like not, not making the mistake that like going the extreme either direction makes by like missing the point of what Jesus is literally talking about. Like he didn't call us to be like Jesus. He called us to love our neighbors. So yeah, I think these conversations are very important. Thank you very much. Do you think here, I'm just going to go ahead and miss the point of your monologue, Josh, but uh, do you think that some people would be okay with the distillation of while we are the image of the divine? Let me, I'm going to phrase it as a question. Do you think Jesus had more of the Imago Dei or equal amount or completely different categorically? Emily, I can hear you thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Am I thinking that loudly? (laughs) Yeah, actually, this time you are. It's crazy. Um, I don't want to say more. Hmm. (sighs) I have to think. Let me think. Great. Well, Emily thinks. I I think that one explanation I've heard people point to for the whole image of God thing is pointing to the human superconsciousness that we are. We somehow seem to be more conscious than any other being in terms of like thinking capacity. Like going back to your point, Stephen, about metacognition, like it's unclear. Um, I mean, we're like learning more about like dolphins and octopuses, but like we we're like obviously able to function like at a higher cognitive level than most animals. And so I've heard people explain the whole image of God theology in terms of like, well, maybe it's just consciousness. Like we are. We are conscious beings after God's consciousness kind of thing. And that sounds all like, maybe that sounds a little too woo-woo-y for people. Um, But I could see that being in line with your question, Stephen, in terms of like, that doesn't necessarily mean that like Jesus had more of the image of God, but like if the image of God just means being human and having consciousness, then Mm. that's, that's enough to explain that. And then like the, the divinity part must be something different. So, I don't know. I could see people making sense of it that way, I guess. That could be true. Did that buy you enough time, Emily? No. Amazing. <laughs> but also, I <laughs> if if you are a panentheist and you believe that the universe and everything in the universe that is material is somehow a part of God, like within God, as in God is like through all things, in all things, uh, sustains all things like very much that kind of theology that we are somehow in our experience and reality a very part of God, then what questions does that raise for Jesus's divinity mm-hmm. and our own experience of God within us? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't think that I would ever go so far as to say that I think that we are God and that we have like this capacity for like increasing our divinity. Like I think that that's probably a load of crock because like people who say that are usually capitalizing somehow. Like they're selling you something mm-hmm. or they're they're usually benefiting somehow by saying that. And usually it means that they have more of the divinity than you do and you have to listen to them. And I'm very suspect of people who would like go that far, but I do think on a theological level it's interesting because is Jesus potentially trying to teach that there is 
inherently the Holy Spirit inside of us, whether or not we believe, maybe. I don't know. But I think it's interesting. And I'm not sure what like a panentheist theologian would say. I really like the way you said all that. Well, thank you. That was good. It is not I, but the the drinks that speak through me. That's funny. That's good. I, I only do the will of my drinks. <laughs> You're under the influence of spirits, some would say. Yes. Yes. I was trying to like really quote Jesus on that one, but I dramatically forgot my Fed too much Bible to drink. memory. Yeah. No, it's that's all fair. good. You are forgiven. Thank you. Um Emily, do you want to close that loop or do you just not want to answer that question? <laughs> can I answer can I answer that question at a later time? Can we like No, I'm gonna have we... you thinking about it for a long time, aren't I? Yeah. Okay. I so here's an initial thought that I have being Great. the good being the good Methodist um that I am. I would say because all of humanity bears the image of God. I would say that Jesus was an image of God that people had not seen before or chose not to recognize before. Fascinating. Like bringing in something that was missing. Yeah. Because the fact that Jesus was born of a young woman unwed and then later in life was seen as very radical and was speaking for those in the margins and speaking for the oppressed and was doing besides literal miracles miraculous things in regards to opposing dictators and manipulative authority that was an image that people were not used to seeing before or hadn't chosen to recognize earlier because kind of yeah there there are quite a few things that line up with figures like elijah or isaiah yeah of what you're talking about they were kind of ignored you know right and so i think jesus was an image that was reintroduced in a way that could no longer be ignored well that's a cool way to say that thank you but I'm still that. grappling with it, so that's all I have. <laughs> great, great. Sometimes all we can ask for is a number of words in response and not an answer. Hey, you get what you get and you don't throw fit. That's Precisely. what I told you. Wow. That's real good. That's real like parenting advice right there. Thank you. Parenting wisdom. Yeah. Look at you. You're doing it. I'm a I'm doing it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Thank you guys for this conversation. This was a a very like, I don't know, easy to like make your head kind of start spinning a little bit, but I, yeah, really. I appreciated mm-hmm. the challenge and you guys met it with aplomb. You're welcome. Emily, do you feel like you have um, like a very self-aware ending to close on? <laughs> Absolutely not. I love the way you do that, Josh. Every time me it too. makes me laugh. Every time. It is not I, but the drinks who speak through me, once again. (laughs) I will say this question and many others that we have addressed and will address are ones that sometimes leave us with more questions than answers. And it is very comforting to know that we can gather in a space and raise these questions and not always come to conclusions, but to simply have the dialogue and to shape an understanding is what we need to be taking away from this.
I, I really love the idea that Jesus may have had the only divine boner. Like, if we assume that Jesus was, wow. like, masturbating, like, he got to regularly experience what the divine boner is That's, like. That is valid. Unless you believe that Jesus had sex, and then you believe that two people could have experienced the divine boner. So, In a okay. way, I don't know which yeah. one's better, like, utilitarian-wise. I don't know, like, which outcome is more preferred if we would have one or two humans in history that could have experienced the divine boner of Jesus or more than two, or you could argue more than two. Like, I, I think that there's room for interpretation here. Like, I mean, if Jesus wants best outcome for everyone, should we not all strive to touch the, div- Nope. That was one step too far. This is how cults start. This is exactly no, yeah, this is exactly you just- how new religious movements start. <laughs> Speculation, <laughs> hypersexualization, and like, over spiritualization of like one verse mm-hmm. yep. or like one random theological thought. It's done it. So, You've done it. And there you have it, folks. Join the Patreon to join the cult. Anyway, yeah, sign up to the to the Divine Boner Patreon, uh slash Ravelpod. We'll meet you there. Yikes. Pictures not included. Thank oh goodness. my. <laughs> Once again, it is not I who speak, but the drinks. What the hell? Clearly. <laughs> what the hell? Clearly. Josh? What just happened?